Knowing God's will is not a complex thing. God makes it simple for us because He wants us to be in His will. Today, we'll be looking at five things that will help us know God's will. This message is the seventh in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Know God's Will, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word. We're involved in a series of messages talking about taking hold, how important it is to take hold of the right things in life, and how valuable it is to make sure that we have our hands, our grip on the right things, and the right things have a grip on us. Because what you take hold of and what takes hold of you makes a big difference in where you end up in your life. And part of taking hold of the right things in life involves taking hold of your purpose. What is your life purpose? Why did God put you on this planet? Because everybody's here for a reason. You're not an accident. God put you here to accomplish something. That is, He has a plan for your life. And part of knowing your purpose involves knowing God's plan. What is God's will for my life? I received that question many, many times. I've asked, have been asked that question lots of times over the years. I have asked myself that question over uh, my life experience with God. What is the will of God for my life? And quite often, when we try to answer that question, what is God's will for my life, what is God's plan or purpose for my life, we tend to go to the mystical. We try to think that somehow God has to speak somewhere way up in heaven. Maybe He writes something in a cloud for us, and we, or we hear some audible voice, or God brings this amazing revelation to us so we understand His will and purpose. But I've discovered in my life it doesn't work that way. I've discovered that living in, in the will of God is really about a sequence of decisions that I make with my life. If I make the right decisions with my life, I will live in the center of God's will. And so we've been talking about last weekend and this weekend, what are the decisions that you and I need to make if we're going to be in the center of God's will? And I told you last weekend, and I will reiterate it again this weekend, if you will make these decisions that we're talking about, there are 10 of them that I'm sharing with you, I promise you, I guarantee you on the authority of God's Word that you will live in the center of God's will. You'll never have to worry about whether you're in God's will or not. Let me review with you where we were last weekend, the five things we talked about. To be in God's will, you have to give yourself to God, trust Him with every part of your life. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. So it's trust. It involves that relationship with God, you giving yourself to Him. Then second of all, you have to stop worrying about where you want to be and focus on where you are, what you have today. It's not about tomorrow, and it certainly is not about yesterday. It's about today. What am I to do with my life today? Because the only part of your life you have any control over is today, making the right choices today. Then the thirdly, third thing was to do the best with what you have, what you've been given. That is to take what you do have today and give your best to it. Do excellently what has been put in your hand. Work diligently with it with all your heart and mind as unto the Lord. The fourth thing I talked about last weekend, a decision that has to be made, is to make sure that you do what the Bible says to do, even when you don't understand it. Your guide for life is this book called the Bible. And so this book gives us instruction. God will never speak anything to you outside of the principles and precepts of this book. This is your guiding document for life. And God loved us enough to give us the Bible. And that's why the Bible is vital to your understanding of God's will. To know what God wants you to do, read this book and then do what it says, even when you don't feel like it or even when you don't understand it. And then I talked last weekend as well about learning to listen to and learn from the 
wise, godly people that, play, that God places in your life. Now, this weekend, we're going to look at five more. Remember, I talked last weekend about the airplane. You can't have one wing. You have to have two. So here's the second wing of your airplane, five more things that are essential uh, decisions for living in the will of God. The first one this weekend is to choose faith over fear, to choose faith over fear. Now, before I get into this particular, uh, particular point, uh, I, I was uh, going over my notes yesterday, uh, right before the Saturday night service, and I'd been studying in the afternoon and then sort of put it aside for a bit and then came back to my notes right before the service, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me as I was looking over this point yesterday that I need to take an entire message and talk about choosing faith over fear. And so I'm going to just touch on this one briefly this weekend, but next weekend my whole message is going to be on this one point, choosing faith over fear. There's a lot of fear in our world today. I want to talk to you as a Christian believer about how to overcome fear and how to live in faith. And so you need to be here next weekend because I'm going to expound on this much further as a part of this Take Hold series. And I would really, really encourage you, invite, encourage you to invite somebody to be here with you because there's so many people that are struggling with anxiety and fear and worry in our current culture and environment uh, that it would, it would be a great opportunity to bring someone that doesn't know Christ or another believer that doesn't have a church home, invite them to be here for that message. But let me say just a couple of things about it uh, for, for us today. Choose faith over fear. In your world, you live your, your life out of a frame. Okay? Every life has a frame a frame of reference, an attitudinal frame, a perspective frame. This building, for example, has a structure. If you rip away all the, the drywall and all the concrete, the carpet, all those kinds of things, you would discover a structure upon which everything else is built. The same is true for your life. There's a mental structure that every part of your life is filtered through. We talked a bit about that in our, our mind series we talked about back in the earlier part of the year. But in your mind, you tend to, one of those frames involves either faith or fear. It's sort of a continuum, fear on one end and faith on the other end. And as you go through life, you live either with a fear perspective as you respond to life, react to life out of fear, or you respond or react to life out of faith. And usually we're somewhere back and forth on that continuum. Growing in your spiritual journey, God wants to move you away from fear into faith to move you away from your life being controlled by anxieties and worries and those kinds of things into a place where you really do have a confidence in God. And we're going to talk next weekend about actually what that looks like and how you get there. But I promise you, you will never live in the center of God's will if your life is controlled by fear. Because living in God's will requires faith. It requires believing God and believing His promises. And so it's important that we move toward faith to be in the center of God's will. Let's take a look at a couple of passages here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Read it with me. Let's all read together all the campuses. Here we go. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. The Bible says if you want to please God, that is, if you want to be in the center of God's will, that obviously is part of what it means to please God, you have to approach Him with what? With faith. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul writes to Timothy and says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, love, and as it says here, self-discipline, or one translation says a sound mind. And so God's plan for you is to fill you up with His Holy Spirit, 
so that you live not out of timidity and fear and anxiety, but you live with a sense of proper uh, power, the power of God that's working in you, a sense of love, living in love, because the Bible says that perfect love drives out fear, and then learning to live with a self-controlled or self-disciplined life. So choose faith over fear if you're going to be in the center of God's will. Number two, second thing this weekend, stay away from anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Very important. You're going to be in the center of God's will. Make the right choices. Don't look for some mystical thing. Just make the right choices. And one of those choices involves staying away from any anger, bitterness, or unforgiveness in your life. How you handle life's disappointments How you handle life's relationship pain is going to impact the direction of your life. Because when disappointment comes your way or relational pain comes your way, something is going to happen as a part of that experience. You don't have pain and you don't have disappointment without it not doing something to you or causing something in you. There's always something that transpires when there's pain or disappointment in your life. And the two basic options is that you and I can react to pain and disappointment or we can respond to pain and disappointment. Now, those, those two things are very different because reaction involves just an emotional, impulsive kind of back to something that's come at us and we haven't really thought about it. We just sort of, if you will, again, react. We act, we act on the basis of what has acted on us or we can choose to respond to it. And the Bible teaches us that when pain comes our way and when relational disappointments affect us in some way or people hurt us or, or, or things happen in our relationships or the painful experiences of life, we must step back and instead of reacting in the moment to it, we must have a considered response. As we have to stop and think, how would Jesus want me to handle this? What would Jesus want me to do? I know several years ago there was a little bracelet that people were wearing. What would Jesus do? Bracelet. Well, you know what? Uh, it was kind of a faddish thing that went away, but it's a very important question to ask, isn't it? What would Jesus do? That when things come our way and when things happen, well, what would Jesus want me to do? How would Jesus want me to respond instead of my own natural reaction to the circumstance? And that requires you again to step back and not just to have an emotional reaction, but actually to choose what your response is going to be. And according to Scripture, that choice, that response is very, very clear. But before I look at the response, let me show you why this is important. Because if you react to pain, your reaction to pain will affect your life choices. There are a lot of people who are making really bad choices with their life because they're choosing, they're choosing things out of their pain, out of their unhealthiness, out of their dysfunction, out of their sin, instead of responding to God, choosing out of a healthy orientation to life. And there are perhaps some of you here today that you're going down a pathway in your life because you're actually reacting to something that you may not even know you're reacting to. It's a pain that happened to you maybe years ago that's still affecting you in some way, but it's, it's, a, it's adjusting the core of your life and it's driving you off course from God, uh, from the perfect will that God has for you. So dealing with your pain is extremely important. And aren't you glad to know that Jesus knows how to help us with our inner pain? He heals us on the inside. He's the healer of the brokenhearted, but it requires a choice on your part and my part. Look Look at the choice. Colossians 3, 13 through 15. 
Very important instructions for us as believers. What would Jesus do, okay? When we get hurt, what would Jesus do when someone says something about you that's not true or unfair? What would Jesus do when you face a disappointment? Here we go. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be, what's the word there? Thankful. So we we make a decision. We consider. We step back in the midst of the grievances that we might have. We step back from the pain we may be experiencing, and we stop and say, what is the right response to this? Oh, the right response is to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to put on love, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So we make that choice again to respond, not to react. Hebrews 12, verse 15, New Living Translation says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. That statement in and of itself is very powerful. I don't have time this weekend to talk about it. But it says that we can fail to receive the grace of God. It's not talking about our eternal salvation. It's talking about the grace that you need to live life. Because you don't just need grace to actually make it to heaven. We need that. But you need grace to live every day. Amen? You need grace to have a good marriage, right? You need to have grace to have good friendships, grace to do what God has asked you to do. And so we need God's grace, and we can miss that grace of God by not handling life the right way. And here's the warning that's given to us in the next part of the verse. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. He says, here's how you can miss the grace of God that you need in your life. If you let a poisonous root of bitterness grow up in you, it's not only going to trouble you, but it's going to affect other people around you. How many parents are inflicting poison into their children because of the bitterness that is in them? How many people are poisoning other people on the job because of the, the attitudes they're carrying around in their hearts? And see, it doesn't just affect you, it affects the people around you. So stay away from anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. The third choice today that will keep you in the will of God is to be grateful, to keep praising and to be content, to be grateful, to keep on praising God, and to be content, to make sure that gratitude is a part of your life, praise is a constant part of your life, and contentment is a continual part of your life. A lot, a lot, a lot of people miss God's best for them simply because they've never confronted or they've never conquered their own ungrateful heart. When you're ungrateful... It demonstrates itself in something called grumbling. Okay? That's really how do you know if you're ungrateful? You're ungrateful when you're grumbling. And grumbling can happen inside you or it can come out of you, but it's something that goes on as a part of your inner world. I don't like this. I'm not happy with this. I'm upset. I'm not looking at the things I have. I'm looking at the things I don't have. And that's where a lot of our focus can be at times. And we get all upset and frustrated and ungrateful by not looking at the blessings we do have in our lives. And dear ones, I want to tell you this morning, for all of us here, all of our campus, you're blessed. There are blessings in your life right now. And what you have to do from time to time is to step back and to remember what you do have. What has God blessed you with? And if you don't have anything else in life, if you know Jesus, you have really everything that you need. Because that, this life is really, he, first of all, He's with you. 
through whatever you're going through, and He's promised you eternity. And so the most important, valuable thing that we can ever have in life is a relationship with Christ. And when the whole world seems to go fall apart around us, if you hold on to Jesus, you have the most important thing, but you have more than that. And so you have to stop and take inventory of your life and truly, as the old song says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And so do you take time in your life to step back and say, God, I thank you that I am blessed. That's why just a moment ago I wanted to thank you for being the great church that you are, to know that I love you because sometimes we don't express our gratitude in the way that we need to. And it's important that you do this in your life. And also that you continue a spirit of praise because praise is taking not only what you've realized you have, but now turning it back with expression of gratitude to God. God, I have counted up my blessings and I'm grateful for them and now I'm going to show you how grateful I am by now offering up to you an offering of praise and an offering of worship to you. And so we take gratitude and translate it into praise. Now again, this is essential for living in the will of God. If you become a grumbler, I promise you, you will not live in the center of God's will. Ask the Israelites who grumbled their way around the desert for 40 years, and most of them, most of that, uh, all of the older generation did not even make it into the promised land because they were grumblers. They were not grateful for what God had done. They didn't believe God, and they didn't turn their gratitude. First, they didn't have any gratitude or what little they had. They didn't turn it into praise to God, and so this is essential. So you take your gratitude, you turn it into praise. Let me tell you something about praise. Praise changes things. Biblically, the biblical truth is praise always changes things. Praise, at the very least, will change your attitude. Even if it doesn't change any of your circumstances, when you are grateful and start praising God, what will happen is your attitude will get better. You'll become healthier in your attitude, holier in your attitude, more whole as a person. Praise brings healing to your life, restoration and wholeness to your life. So it's important to be a praiser, even if it does not affect your circumstances around you, it affects you internally. But I will also tell you that praise can even affect the circumstances around you. The Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 16 that the apostle Paul and Silas were in prison. They were there because they had done nothing wrong, only they preached the gospel, and people were upset at them for preaching the gospel, so they put them in the Philippian prison, and the Bible teaches us, as you know the story, at midnight, Paul and Silas made a choice. They started counting their blessings, and even though it seems like nothing was very good from the external circumstances, they knew God, and they began to sing and praise God and pray to God, and the Bible says that in that moment, God sent down this massive moment of an earthquake and shook everything up and their chains came off and the prison doors came open and their circumstances changed and people around them were affected by it and even the Philippian jailer met Jesus because two guys made the choice to praise. Now you've got to understand this is the will of God. That pushed them right into the center of God's will. Now Paul and Silas could have sat back in that prison cell and felt sorry for themselves and thought about all the things that things were going wrong and here we are trying to serve God and, and now we end up in a situation like this and boy, why does God treat us this way? And all these kind of thoughts could have come out of them but instead they said we're going to take where we are right now. We're going to be grateful for what God has done for us. We're going to begin to praise Him and worship Him. It's not about our circumstances. It's about us loving on Him and praising Him no matter what's going on, and that pushed them right into the center of God's will. So if you want to be in the will of God for your life, stop grumbling. 
If you want to be in the center of God's will for your life, stop grumbling and start praising. Make the choice to be a praiser. Start counting your blessings. Start looking for what God has done instead of what you feel like He hasn't done for you in your life. And begin to praise Him and learn to live in an attitude of contentment. Contentment says, you know what? I may not have everything that I want, but I have everything that I need. God is taking care of me. And you don't let your wants get ahead of where you are because wants can drive you into an area of discontentment in your life. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstances, circumstance. If I'm well fed, I'm content. If I'm hungry, I'm content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's Philippians chapter 4, and you and I can do the same thing. You say, well, I don't have everything I want in life. Well, what's new? Nobody ever has everything you want in life. But you don't let what you want, want in life drive you to a place of discontentment. Now you say, is this stuff in the Bible? Absolutely. Take a look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Do you want to know God's will for your life? I'm asking a question, by the way. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. Give thanks in all circumstances. Read the rest with me. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you? Give thanks in all circumstances. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness, that's living like God wants you to live, with contentment is great gain. That is, you gain great advantage in your life when you learn something about contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So be grateful, keep praising, and be content. Number four, the fourth thing today. Enjoy regular relationship time with God. You want to be in the center of God's will? Enjoy. Notice that word, enjoy. Don't endure, but enjoy. Enjoy regular relationship time with God. What does God want from you more than anything else? What does He want from you and me more, more than anything? What does He want? I will tell you what He wants. He wants a relationship with you. More than anything else, God says, I want a relationship with you. Before I want you to do something for me, before I want you to serve me, before I want you to whatever it might be, the number one thing God wants from you and me, he, he longs, God longs to hang out with you. Think about that. God longs to spend time with you. God has this ache in his heart, if you will, toward you and me to say, I want to fellowship with you. I, want to, I just want to be with you. If you have people that you love, you know the joy of just being with them. Doesn't, sometimes a lot doesn't even have to be said, but you're just, you're just with them. And being with them is a valuable thing just to be together. This is, goes, goes all the way back. The, the principle of this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Even after Adam and Eve sinned against God and turned away from God by partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they'd sinned against God. Even God in that moment was looking for them. The Bible says that God came searching for Adam and Eve. They were hiding out of their shame and fear, but God came saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? God was longing and continues to long for a relationship with us. That's why, dear ones, that's why. God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we could have a relationship with Him, so that through Christ our sins could be forgiven. 
God longs for relationship with him. Above and beyond what he's trying to get you to do for him, he simply wants to be with you and you with him. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Let me tell you a little bit about this. God was giving an assignment to Joshua. Moses had died, and Joshua now had the responsibility after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of the children of Israel to actually take the Israelites into the promised land. And to go into the promised land, Joshua was going to have to fight all kind of battles. It was going to be a big deal. He had a big responsibility on his shoulders. And so here, after Moses has died, God comes to Joshua and listen to what he says to him. He says, here, here you go, Joshua. Here's your secret for success, Joshua. Here's how you're going to make it in this new job I'm giving you. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God says, look, Joshua, if you want to succeed in this assignment I'm giving you, it's all about your relationship with me. Get into my book. Let me speak to you. through. Let the words of this law, let this book get inside of you because when the word gets in you, God is in you. Amen? How do you, have, how do you get God in you? Well, you get the word in you because the word is God. God became flesh, yes, through Jesus, but the word of God, as it gets into us in our hearts, it's, it's God's presence working in us. So he says, Joshua, that's your way to success. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, verse 6. But when you pray, not if you pray, it's what? What's the word there? When. So as a believer, it shouldn't be whether if you pray, it's when you pray. When you pray, go into your room. Notice the intimacy of this. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, what will He do? He'll reward you. He says, I just want to be with you. Come on, just... Just take some time out, go somewhere where there's nobody else, and get along with me and shut the door, which shut everything out. Leave your cell phone outside, okay? Don't take your iPad with you. But just get into a room. We call this the closet with God. Go to your own special place with God and be alone with me and, and just talk to me, pray to me, and, and, and we'll be together. And your Father who is unseen will hear and see what's done in secret and He will reward you. That you'll step out of your prayer closet with God's blessing on your life. Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Last point today in the fifth of today, the tenth point of our uh, process of living in God's will is to plant in, become an active, enthusiastic, supportive part of your local church. This is one that <clears throat> is often not talked about, but I will tell you that this is one that is vital to your spiritual existence. One of your choices, if you're going to be in the center of God's will, involves your connection to a community of believers. The will of God is never discovered outside of church life. It's discovered in the context, inside the life of the church, inside the community of the church. Because in God's plan, He has made the church one of the ways that He's going to feed you and guide you. Being a part of a church is what brings great strength to your life and grace to your life and guidance for your journey. So church is very important to God. A lot of people think, oh, church is not that big of a deal. It is a very big deal to God, okay? It's a part of His whole plan. And part of what he wants you to understand about to getting in the will of God is that it does involve just not you, but it involves you being connected with a community of believers and to be an enthusiastic, vital, supportive part of a body of believers. 
Now, I want you to look with me at what the Scripture says about this because I want you to see from the Bible how important this is. I don't want you just to think this is another pastor just saying this stuff. No, I'm telling you, this is what God says, okay? Because I don't, I don't have any authority to preach to you. I, all, my only, only, only authority is the Word of God. And so I'm standing on what God says about this today. Notice Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus' words. So I want you to know Jesus said this. Who said it? Jesus said it, all right? And he says this to his disciples, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock that is on the rock of Revelation, Peter understood who Jesus was. He said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, On this rock, you're understanding that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's implied there if we go back and read the context. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus said, I am, I'm involved in a building project in the world, and I'm going to build something called my church. Now, I think you would agree with me. If Jesus said that he's going to build something, it must be fairly important. Would you agree? Okay. If Jesus said, this is what I'm building, this is my building project in the earth, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to build it so strong that the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it, we must understand the high priority that's placed here. Now, by the way, the word for church there is the word ekklesia in the Greek language. It means basically this, to be called out, called together for a purpose. So be called out of the world, out of sin, into relationship with God, and called together. That's not by yourself. Church is about other believers, and then to pursue a purpose. What purpose does the church pursue? We pursue the mission of God. The mission has been given to us by Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'll come back to that in a moment. So the church, ecclesia, those who are called out, called together for a purpose. Notice Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice the Bible says that Jesus loved, and if he loved, he still loves because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he loved and loves the church. He gave himself for it. So you see the love that Christ has for his church. Psalm 92, verse 13. Would you read this one together with me? Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. I want to ask you to circle some phrases there. Circle the word planted, if you don't mind, or at least highlight it. House of the Lord, that phrase, and flourish. Just going to talk about those three just for a moment. Planted, what does it mean to be planted? To be planted means that you're in a place where you can establish roots and produce fruit. That's what it means, okay? If you're not planted, you cannot establish roots, right? And you can't produce fruit. Uh, if you take a plant and you keep moving it from one place to another, pulling it up and have it here just for a little bit, pull it up, put it somewhere else, pull it up, then it never develops root and it's going to affect the productivity. In fact, ultimately, it will kill the plant. You'll never be able to have the life that it needs. And so planting means that you, you get settled into, into soil, where you can develop root, and then out of that rootedness, you can produce fruit. So where are we to be planted? Planted in the house of the Lord. Now, house of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, the house of the Lord is referred to all throughout the Bible as the people of God, and the New Testament is referred to as God's church. And so you need to get planted in a house of the Lord. Now, in our world today, as, as God planned it, there are many, many local churches that exist uh, that you can be planted in. And, and, and my purpose today is not to tell you to, you have to be in this church, but I'm telling you, you need to be in a church. You need to get planted, and I'll define that in just a moment for you in terms of a church you ought to be planted in. But you need to be planted in a house somewhere, okay? You need to be a house plant, okay? 
right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be a house plant. Just tell me you need to be a house plant, okay? So there's a house that God wants to plant you in, okay? Right? Plant it in the house of the Lord. Now, house is not ethereal, it's practical, okay? There's a house that you need to get planted in, okay? Now, notice what the Bible says. If you will be planted in the house of the Lord, what will be the result in your life? You'll flourish. You know why a lot of Christians aren't flourishing? Because they're not a house plant. They've never got planted in a house anywhere. And so because they're not planted in a house, there's, no re- I mean, there's a clear reason why they're not flourishing as they need to flourish. And so you get planted in the house of the Lord and the promise is that you will flourish in the courts of our God. I will tell you that I would be, I would have, I would no, be, be nowhere close to what, what I'm doing today in my walk with God had I not learned this principle early on in my spiritual journey. I thank God for Jesus, but I thank Him for His church too. I'm grateful for His church. I love the church because it's a part of God's plan for your life. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, but, uh, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Acts 2, verse 42. They, speaking of the early believers, devoted themselves, very important word, gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. So it's talking about community, church. First Peter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. He's talking about church life as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so if you you want, if you want to grow and flourish, you've got to make the choice to be planted in the house of the Lord. And you say, well, what does that mean, Pastor, for me? Let me give you a little bit of definition of the kind of church you ought to be planted in. This has nothing to do with, I'm not talking about our church today, although it may have application to it. But you need to get planted in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Because the only thing that's going to grow you up is the Bible, Amen. The Word of God's going to grow you up. And so you need to get planted into a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. You need to get planted into what I would call a good news church, okay? A good news church is a church that believes that God has, the, has a good news for the world, amen? You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of churches that all you get when you go is bad news, okay? And you don't need bad news. I mean, you know, we've got enough of that. It's called the newspaper, okay? Okay? We need somebody, we need something, an environment that's going to give us the good news, the truth of God's Word, yes, and sometimes the truth uh, challenges us, and sometimes it hurts a little bit along the way, but ultimately there's hope in the good news. There's a good news presentation of God's Word. See, when you go to church, you need to go to be built up, not beat up, okay? Unfortunately, a lot of people will go to church, and they'll get beat up, and you don't need to be beat up because I, I, that's one of my goals here every week. I don't want to beat you up. I want to build you up. Why? Because you get beat up all week, right? Okay, so you need to be built up when you come to the house of God. You need a church that's going to build you up, not beat you up, and you need a church that has an outreach focus. These are Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, good news presentation of the gospel that we believe that God, Jesus, is the answer. He can change lives. We have a message to give to the world of hope and love and grace and kindness and redemption. That's our message of the church you ought to be plugged into. And then there, there also needs to be an outreach orientation. What I mean by that is that you're not existing just for your own little group. You don't have a social club. You know, a lot of churches, they're a lot more like a social club than really like a, like a missions organization. A mission organization said, we've got more people to reach. I'll show you what a church looks like that is disclosed-minded. It's very much like this. People come in on Sunday and they have their pew where they sit. Okay. And God forbid if a, worship, if, a, if a newcomer comes in and sits in their seat. Okay. 
because what will happen is they will come down and they will see them sitting in their seat. They'll go, you're in my seat. They may not say it, but their looks do. The point, the, the point I'm illustrating is that what happens is in a closed-minded church, in terms of its reaching of people, is it exists for itself, okay? Dear ones, let me tell you about our church. Our church doesn't exist for us. It, it, hopefully, we're building each other up here as a part of this, but guess what? There are more people that Jesus wants us to reach, amen? I'm glad that we're all going to heaven if we know Christ in our lives, but I want to take some more people with us, don't you, Okay. I want to make sure that we're taking as many people with us as possible because Jesus gave us a mission not just to be saved and satisfied, okay, but to be saved and reaching other people who need salvation. That's the goal of the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so you want to be engaged in something that's not just about you, but it's about reaching people beyond you who still need faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you want to get planted in the house, in a house, so you can flourish. What is a good house of the Lord? It's Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, good news, preaching, right? But there's hope for the world and outreach-oriented, that we're here to reach people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if you get planted in the house of God, you will flourish. Now, these are the ten things that will help you. I promise you on the authority of God's Word, if you will do choose these ten things, you will live in the center of God's will. Let's review them together. So pull out your, actually, you can look at the screens. They're going to be on the screens there for you. Why don't we read them all together, all of our campuses. Here we go. Number one, give yourself to God. Trust God with every part of your life. Number two, stop worrying about where you want to be. Focus on where you are and what you have today. Number three, do your best with what you've been given. Number four, do what the Bible says to do, even when you don't understand it. Number five, listen to and learn from the wise, godly people placed in your life. Number six, choose faith over fear. Number seven, stay away from anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Number eight, be grateful, keep praising, and be content. Number nine, enjoy regular relationship time with God. And number 10, plant in and become an active, enthusiastic, supportive part of your local church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us these principles in your word that, Lord, finding your will is not complex, it's not difficult. It's a matter of our choices. And I pray you'll help us today, Lord, to begin to choose these things in our life, to be the kind of people you want us to be so you can lead us and guide us as you so desire. Take this word and seal it in our hearts, we pray today in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, 
I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.